Bernie Sanders has a history of making controversial comments, praising or defending authoritarian dictatorships. In the past, he's praised China for raising people out of poverty, which is absurd. And then a few days ago, he actually praised Cuba for their literacy programs. He defended his position on China and Cuba again at a CNN town hall, leaving Democrats in, dare I say it, full-blown panic mode. They're issuing statements to their constituents saying, we, de- we denounce this. They're struggling because they can't mention it's their party's frontrunner who's praising Fidel Castro. But I'm not surprised by any of this. Bernie Sanders staffers were on video, Project Veritas filmed them, and they were talking about putting conservatives in gulags and re-education camps. What's really funny about Bernie Sanders and everything he said is that he is quite literally saying he made the trains run on time. You know that saying referencing Italy in World War II, but Mussolini made the trains run on time. It's a tongue in cheek statement making a point about how it doesn't matter what little good thing you can say. Authoritarian dictatorships are bad, period. The funniest thing, though, about what Bernie Sanders is saying is that for one, when it comes to China raising people out of poverty, you could actually say it's in spite of, 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 their, of, of, of everything they've done. That if they were a, an actual capitalist market system, they may have raised more people out of poverty because of the past hundred years, most people, we have now a smaller percentage of people living in global and extreme poverty than ever before. And that's thanks to capitalism. Communism failed and the authoritarian dictatorships all fail. The funny thing about Cuba is that the literacy rate, as far as I can tell, is from one post was 76% already. So Bernie thinks he's justified in defending dictatorships, horrifying ones that people flee or push down in exile because a tiny, a small percentage of the population was taught to read. This is one of the most insane things we've seen yet, mostly because the Democrats in Florida, panic mode doesn't even describe it. I've done so many videos about the panic of the Democrats. Even Nancy Pelosi addressed this the other day saying, oh, everyone thinks we're panicking, but we're not. You are We're seeing statements released by Florida. Even Menendez in New Jersey, who's the son of Cuban immigrants, is like, this is nuts. Bernie actually saying in all in the literal sense, Mussolini made the trains run on time. And now the Democrats know they're going to lose Florida and Florida is an extremely important swing state. But this is going to ripple everywhere else. Look, the, 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 the Latinos who live in Florida, many of them escaped Cuba. They've escaped Venezuela, Nicaragua. Many of them came here and found better lives. So you've got people trying to argue that America is so awful. They came here. They're happy. And now the front runner for the Democrats is saying, well, it wasn't all bad. All right. All right. Let me slow down. Let's actually read these stories. And I've got some I want to show you some other stuff pertaining, you know, Bernie bros and the current state of the Democratic Party, because as you may have as look, let me stop for a second. I've done a ton of videos talking about Democrats freaking out and panicking. And every day I look and I'm like, it's kind of crazy how many, how many times there's been a big story about Democrats freaking out. But I think it's, it's obvious. We're, in, we're, we're entering primary season. Super Tuesday is really, really close. Bernie Sanders is taking over the party and he's saying insane things. They're going to keep freaking out. And every time they do, I'm going to make a video explaining why they are. But listen, right now in the political world, the Democratic primary is one of the most important things happening. We've got this big fight, this big race. Who's going to win? What ideas will prevail? And the party is in the state of a civil war, and it's getting worse every day. The Florida Democrats know their constituents denounce and detest Castro, and Bernie's praising him. So let's read. Before we get started, as per usual, head over to TimCast.com donate if you'd like to support my work. There's several ways you can give, but the best thing you can do is actually just share this video. 
As I always say, I hope we can break some echo chambers by having new people be exposed to ideas maybe they've, they've, uh, they've never seen before. But at any rate, this might help the channel grow because YouTube's algorithm is trying to suppress content like mine. So you, uh, you all sharing this actually overcomes that. The other thing is statistics, about 30% of people who watch don't subscribe. So if you really do like the channel and want to see more, I, I implore you, please subscribe, hit the notification bell. Otherwise, YouTube will stop sending my videos to you. And if, if you don't like the videos and don't subscribe, don't get them anyway. But if you do, it's one of the things you have to do because YouTube is actively suppressing content like mine. Let's read the story from Politico. Bernie Sanders defends comments on Cuban revolution. Quote, you know, the truth is the truth. Bernie's truth is a very, very strange and horrifying truth, I might add. But let's read. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders on Monday doubled down on past remarks about Fidel Castro, where he said it was unfair to simply say everything is bad about the communist regime in Cuba. I'm going to say it again. He's quite literally saying he made the trains run on time. That's a tongue in cheek comment. But anyway, Politico continues. Speaking at CNN Town Hall in Charleston, South Carolina on Monday, Sanders said that he he has always condemned authoritarianism and ardently believes in democracy. Still, he stood behind remarks he made during a 60 Minutes interview that the communist revolutionary leader who ruled Cuba from 1959 until 2016 dramatically raised literacy rates in his country. The remarks sparked outrage, particularly among Florida Democrats who represent a state with a large community of Cuban exiles. State Rep. Javier Fernandez, who is supporting Democratic rival Joe Biden, went so far as to say Donald Trump wins Florida if Bernie is our nominee. I got to agree with him, man, straight up. And everybody knows that it's not just Florida. It's possible that Bernie really is going to bring about some revolution, but I just don't see it in the data. And, and the data could be wrong. I, I get it. Bernie was supposed to be lighting up a new voter base. He's not. Voter turnout is not, is not where it should be. While, they, while right now the media is saying, but Bernie is, you know, voter turnout in Iowa was bad. New Hampshire was pretty good and they're all happy and exciting. The New York Times points out, and I'll get to the story in, in, a, in a minute, that based on population growth, you know, Bernie's, the, 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 the turnout should be way higher. They're not coming out. I think we're looking at a McGovern situation, a Mondale situation. Trump is going to sweep the floor with an absurd amount of electoral votes with Bernie as the nominee. Quote, if Bernie Sanders is atop the ticket, it's going to make it tougher for all of us to win in Florida, Fernandez said. Sanders shot back on Monday morning, declaring truth is truth. All right. If you want to disagree with me, if someone wants to say that, and by the way, all of the Congress people you mentioned just so happen to be supporting other candidates. But you know, the truth is the truth. And that is what happened on the first years of the Castro regime. That is mind boggling. There was one user, one person on Twitter said, I understand you wanted to increase literacy, but have you tried a literacy program before the brutal dictatorship? Which is an excellent point. Look, you can, you can mince words and weasel your way into, into arguing a positive from literally anything. But of course, authoritarian dictators still feed some people. What are you going to do? Say, well, you know, some people did get access to food. So what? Everybody has access to food already. In, in, implementing an authoritarian dictatorship makes things worse. Sanders added that China is another example of an autocratic dictatorship that has accomplished good things for its people. What? Yep. He said China is an authoritarian country, becoming more and more authoritarian. But can anyone deny the facts are clear that they have taken more and more people out of extreme poverty than any country in history? And now you understand why Bernie Sanders will not denounce his staffers that were exposed by Project Veritas. If you're not familiar with the Veritas videos, 
Undercover clips show staffers, actual organizers in his office paid by his campaign saying, well, the gulags weren't all that bad. And, you know, if we win, it's time to reeducate those Trump supporters because Bernie agrees. Okay, we denounce authoritarianism. We believe in allowing people to vote their way into a dictatorship. That's basically what he's saying. We put the word democratic in front of dictatorship. And now all of a sudden, it's okay that people are put into this position. No, these things are violent uprisings that upset the actual calm consensus and cooperation. They call it left, but it's barely left. A cooperative system cannot survive with an autocrat running the show. So there's no reason to praise any of the good things they've done. Sanders remarks on 60 Minutes came as many voters remain concerned about his past refusal to totally condemn Soviet backed leaders. Sanders has previously argued that Castro has done some good things for his country, including expanding health care and education to the poor. Another funny joke I saw was that the, 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 the Cubans can live in comfort knowing they're able to read the false charges brought against them as they're exiled or imprisoned for life. And that's and is that really the benefit? Is that what you're trying to you're trying to claim? Hey, we've got great literacy rates in America. Capitalism has lifted more people out of poverty than communism. Why even bother praising them? The, the, the people being uh, raised out of poverty in China was in spite of everything, not because of what China was doing. Still, Sanders emphasized Monday that he is adamantly opposed to authoritarian states and their methods of ruling. I don't believe it. I really, really don't. No one should have any praise for these people, but Sanders does. I th- he says, quote, I think teaching people to read and write is a good thing. I have been extremely consistent and critical of all authoritarian regimes all over the world, including Cuba, Nicaragua, including Saudi Arabia, including China, including Russia. I happen to believe in democracy, not authoritarianism. Fellow Democratic candidate Pete Buttigieg, who has criticized Sanders as being polarizing and too far left, expressed dismay at Sanders' comments. He has frequently clashed with Sanders, claiming to be a more moderate candidate set to appeal to independents and Democrats alike, and claimed Sanders would not be able to appeal to voters who had previously supported Trump, saying, quote, I don't want as a Democrat to be explaining why our nominee is encouraging people to look on the bright side of the Castro regime when we are all going going into the election of our lives, Buttigieg said during a CNN town hall Monday night, adding, of course, literacy is a good thing. But why are, are you why are spotlighting the literacy programs of a brutal dictator instead of being unambiguous in our condemnation about the way he has treated his people? Democratic leader Tom Steyer went so far as say he would never speak highly of unelected leaders who rule without any Democratic checks on their power. I don't think it's appropriate to be giving him a lot of compliments, Steyer said during a scene in town hall. I think we're in a different situation. The United States is supposed to be the value driven leader of the world. Well, apparently not with Bernie. And now in Florida, the freakout is worse than any other freakout. Now, Democrats across the board in this country have been freaking out like crazy. MSNBC was spewing word vomit in panic over Bernie Sanders winning. Look, my response is, if the people vote for Bernie, then so be it. Congratulations on your win. If you think Bernie is the only one who can beat Trump, well, then you're heading in the right direction. I personally think Bernie can't defeat Trump for these reasons, but I still believe people have a right to make that choice if they want to see if Bernie will win. He won't. But over on MSNBC, they were shrieking. Democrats have been shrieking. But now in Florida, they have a real reason to be shrieking because I don't think I think most people like 99% of this country is probably looking at Bernie and going like, uh, you should walk that back. There's no reason to play these games. So so this is a story that actually takes some of the quotes we've already seen uh, mentioning some of the other stories. But there are some interesting bits that are in here. They say, uh, so this is actually from before he doubled down, as far as I know. 
There was no mention. I've got to be careful about how I talk about this. Okay, let me put it this way. I'm not going to read too much into what's going on in Florida. I'll read some here. I have to be careful because you see on YouTube, I can't actually tell you the, the horrifying history of Cuba. And that's become a big topic of conversation. Let's just say that people lost their lives. They were imprisoned or exiled. The man who was running that country was a brutal and awful, horrifying man. And Bernie has offered him some praise. Sure, literacy is great, but not this way, not under these terms. Politico says, as a swing state, Florida is traditionally more moderate than Sanders' brand of progressivism. No majority, no major party candidate nominee here has ever called himself a socialist, nor has one been as critical of Israel, which could be problematic in in the March 17 primary because 70% of Florida's estimated 600,000 Jewish voters are Democrats. Not only that, there was some data that came out that said Bernie Sanders actually hurt the Democrats in the latest governor and Senate races, that when people in Florida heard who they were had standing behind them, they were like, nah, 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 nah I'm, not, I'm not okay with that. Because Bernie's made similar comments about these brutal dictatorships before. Now we can see we have this story from CNN Politics, Democratic lawmakers slam Sanders comments on Fidel Castro policy. And this shows that it's not just Florida. We have Senator Menendez of New Jersey. Now I know his parents were, or were Cuban immigrants, but he is from New Jersey. You have other people around this country that are worried. Latinos in America, mostly in Florida, but many who, are, who have moved out to various parts of this country, fled these horrifying dictatorships and socialist governments. They know how bad it is. They're going to tell their friends. And now you have the fringe far left pushing these insane ideas. But here's where it gets really interesting. Matt Dixon of Politico tweeted a balancing act here from the Miami-Dade Democrats denounce Castro and tie him to Trump, but don't mention the party's presidential frontrunner whose comments have them in this uncomfortable spot. This was one, I, I got to admit, I laughed a lot when I saw this because they're actually trying to blame Trump. So they say, today, Steve Simeonitis, chair of the Miami-Dade Democratic Party, issued the following statement. The Miami-Dade Democratic Party denounces the Castro regime in the strongest possible terms. He continued, like Donald Trump, the Castro regime ignores the rule of law. Like Donald Trump, the Castro regime abuses their power for personal and political gain. And like Donald Trump, the Castro regime uses its office to enrich itself and his family. We must come together and vote to rid our country of Donald Trump and his authoritarian Castro-like policies. Trump's dictatorial actions disrespect the hundreds of thousands of Cuban Americans who fled the Castro regime and made their home in Miami-Dade County. Yeah, I call that word vomit, but this time typed out on a, on a piece on, 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 a, on a computer. Donald Trump, compare him to Castro to a certain degree, whatever, that's still silly. But the problem here isn't Trump, it's Bernie Sanders. The reason they're issuing the statement in the first place is because they are desperate to counter what Bernie is doing to the Democratic Party. Man, Florida's going to go so red, it's going to shift so hard because you have a lot of Jewish retirees. You have a lot of Latino immigrants who fled these horrifying countries and they're staring there and staring there, sta- standing there in awe, looking at Bernie Sanders and what he's saying with their jaws hanging open. We have this next tweet it says now the statewide party, Florida Democrats condemn dictators who topple democracies across the globe and stand in solidarity with thousands of people who have fled violent dictatorships in Cuba, Venezuela and Nicaragua. Candidates need to understand our immigrant communities shared stories as well as provide solutions to issues that matter to all Floridians, including access to affordable health care and rejecting a Trump economy that works only for the very rich. They have absolutely lost the plot. 
the economy is not even a major factor for most Americans. It is not. And when you come out and say these things like we want to create a government just like the one you fled, you lose these voters. Trump knows it. All Trump has to do is sit back and win. Now, here we have this tweet where they mention that the literacy rate of uh, Cuba was 76%, one of the fourth highest in Latin America. Cuba ranked 11 in the world in, in, uh, in the number of doctors per capita. Many private clinics and hospitals provided services for the poor. Cuba's income distribution compared favorably with that of other Latin American societies. A thriving middle class held the promise of prosperity and social mobility. Yes, up until Bernie Sanders, uh, I'm sorry, up until Fidel Castro, not Bernie Sanders, up until Fidel Castro came and stepped in. There's a couple other things I want to go through, but not too much. Here's what's, I love this story. Right? This one's going around and you get all these woke, you know, anti-Trump people and, and never Trumpers talking about Bernie Sanders firing a staffer because he was actually a Bernie bro harassing other people. And what's funny about this is that in the midst of Bernie's offensive comments that's having the Democrats spin in circles and freak out to an absurd degree, Bernie has never denounced or punished any of his staffers who pushed even worse authoritarian rhetoric. Bernie says, oh, we condemn authoritarianism, yet his staffers are advocating for it. And now here we can see someone said naughty words on Twitter and he must be fired. I, I don't understand. If you want to smear Bernie, just talk about his staffers and Veritas. Ah, that's it. They don't want to legitimize Project Veritas. Well, let me tell you, Bernie is burning down the Democratic Party. I know there are many, there's, there's some people I respect who are fans of Bernie, but I think y'all are blind. The New York Times reports Sanders says he'll attract a wave of new voters. It hasn't happened. Bernie Sanders has so far prevailed by expanding his appeal among traditional Democratic voters, not by driving record turnout. The turnout is technically down based on population growth. So if you don't compare turnout to Republican turnout, which has been particularly high, is my understanding, for an incumbent president, Trump got nearly three times as many votes as some of the past incumbents. I mean, it looks like the Democrats are actually floundering. So let, let me read a little, bit, a little bit for you. This is very interesting. The New York Times writes, it is the most politically provocative part of Senator Bernie Sanders' campaign pitch that his progressive movement will bring millions of non-voters into the November election, driving record voter turnout, especially among disaffected working class Americans and young people. Well, let me just tell you, as a disaffected liberal, I don't, I don't know if working class necessarily makes sense for me doing, you know, my high profile punditry, but as a disaffected liberal, it's not Bernie Sanders and it's especially not Bloomberg. It's a Buttigieg, eh, maybe, but not really. He doesn't inspire. He's like a, he's like a B-tier Obama, unfortunately. They don't got anything. They really don't. They say, and yet despite a virtual tie in Iowa, a narrow victory in New Hampshire and a big triumph in Nevada, the first three nominating contests reveal a fundamental challenge for Mr. Sanders' political revolution. He may be winning, but not because of his longstanding pledge to expand the Democratic base. The results show so far show that Mr. Sanders has prevailed by broadening his appeal among traditional Democratic voters, not by fundamentally transforming the electorate. In Iowa, for instance, turnout for the caucuses was lower than expected up 3% compared with 2016, and the increase was concentrated in more well-educated areas where Mr. Sanders struggled. According to a New York Times analysis, in the Iowa precincts where Sanders won, turnout increased by only one percentage point. There was no sign of a Sanders voter surge in New Hampshire either, nor on Saturday in Nevada, where the final results indicated that turnout would finish above 2016, but well short of 2008 levels. Despite a decade of population growth, and a new early voting option that attracted some 75,000 voters, the low numbers are all the more striking given the huge turnout in the 2018 midterm elections, which was the highest in a century. 
There was also no clear evidence across the early states of much greater participation by young people, a typically low turnout group that makes up a core part of Mr. Sanders' base and that he has long said he can motivate to get out to the polls. Mr. Sanders has struggled to overcome his longstanding weakness in affluent, well-educated suburbs where Democrats excelled in the midterm elections and where many traditionally Republican voters are skeptical about President Trump's performance, meaning they could be up for grabs in November. Because the moderate wing opposing Sanders, because the moderate wing opposing Mr. Sanders, a Vermont liberal, is so fragmented, don't call Bernie Sanders a liberal. That is unfair. Anyway, the lower than hoped for turnout has not slowed his ascent. Sanders' aides point to the simple fact that he has won, finishing atop all three states with a coalition of young people, working class voters, and people of color. Hey, that sounds just like, you know, the McGovern situation with Richard Nixon. At least that's what the reports have shown and the history I've read. They wanted to get that progressive coalition, and then Richard Nixon won 49 states. I think it was, was it 49? Well, he won all but one. We'll put it that way. Sanders' aides point to the simple fact he's winning, but many Democrats believe that for a general election, their nominee will need to pull in new voters, including those who sat out in 2016. Even some inside the race, uh, inside the Sanders campaign, expressed concern about the race's initial turnout. I grant that the turnouts aren't at the level that we hope. Representative Ro Khanna of California, one of the campaign's national co-chairs, said before the Nevada caucuses. I hate, I hate to do this. I really do. But I'm going to have to go ahead and agree with Jonathan Chait. Now, this is a crazy guy who thinks crazy things about Russia and crazy Trump, thinking that Trump was working. You know, he argued that Trump may have been an asset of the Russians since the 80s. But he writes for the Intelligencer, New York Mag. If Democrats aren't terrified of Bernie, they're not paying attention. Now, I don't need to necessarily get into everything he says, but the fact remains that he's right. I mean, Bernie Sanders comments about these brutal dictatorships should be disqualifying and alone. And let me just explain something to all of you. Bernie Sanders is kind of like an anti-Trump. Donald Trump refuses to apologize. He insults people. What is the story? Check this one out. Donald Trump jokes about calling women fat pigs and dogs and says only Rosie O'Donnell. This is a story from 2015. Trump is a rude guy. He's a rude dude. And he said, you know what? This country's too politically correct. Bernie Sanders, on the other hand, apologizes to Joe Biden after one of his own surrogates says Biden has a corruption problem. Bernie apologizes, bends the knee, backs down, won't get angry, has no spine, and his entire platform is a negative economic approach. I'll explain. Donald Trump talks about bolstering the American working class, bringing back jobs, getting better trade agreements. All of those are an explanation of how he plans to create wealth. Bernie Sanders' entire position is about redistributing wealth, a net negative proposal. So if you take their, their proposals at face value, Bernie is saying what already exists will be taken and moved, where Trump says we plan to create more, a positive message versus a negative message on the economy. I'm not saying either is necessarily right or wrong. I'm saying Trump is talking about creating wealth. Bernie is talking about taking it. And many Democrats have actually criticized the Democratic Party for constantly doing this. Instead of talking about how to make people's lives more prosperous, all they do is talk about redistributing other people's prosperity back to them. So let me, let me ask you something. If someone came to you and said, I'm going to steal someone else's money and give it to you, and someone else says, I'm going to teach you how to be rich, which one would people be likely to, to pick? I honestly don't know. They're both easy, easy paths towards making money. You could argue the Democratic message is lazy. Oh, it's easy. I snap my fingers. You give me stuff. And the Republican message is hard. I have to work for it. At the same time, taking from other people might be morally or ethically wrong. And some people might say, I'd rather have an honest living and work for myself. Over the past four years under Donald Trump, the economy has, has, has been bolstered. 
Unemployment is at record lows. People seem to be pretty satisfied and no longer they're they're not concerned about the economy at all. Only 10% in a Gallup poll said the economy was the worst issue. So here comes Bernie Sanders straight up saying there were good things in these regimes, saying, I will take this from you, who has staffers who say we'll put you in camps, whether or not any of it's legit or not. Bernie Sanders is running a horrifyingly negative, angry campaign. It's full of rage and resentment. It's not talking about a new bright future. I hate to say it, but Donald Trump is the one who's talking about the Artemis project and going to the moon and then going to Mars. And when Trump talked about the moon to Mars mission, people in the media ridiculed him for it. Is that the message we really want for hope and prosperity? Do we want to expand the quality of life through new technologies, travel to the stars? I kind of do. And it's strange for me to say it, but that's not coming from the progressives with a hopeful future because they don't have one. It's coming from the weird jerk, Donald Trump. He's the one who's talking about real opportunity, but he's kind of a nasty dude. And so there's the big conundrum for the American voters. Who do you think they will pick? The guy defending brutal dictatorships who says he wants to take from many people who has very, very scary and fringe opinion, uh, you know, has, has very, very scary staff members with fringe opinions or the rude, nasty dude, Donald Trump, who doesn't care, but has four years of a good economy behind him. I guess we'll see. I certainly think it's going to be Donald Trump. Maybe Bernie Sanders won't get the nomination. I don't know. We're still a couple months out. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash News. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. Unions for thee, but not for me. Not at the Young Turks, at least. You may have heard the story that Cenk Uger of the Young Turks was refusing to recognize his own employees' union. It gets worse. And I got to say, I am disappointed in the message coming out from the Young Turks because it sounds so typical of union-busting efforts that even if what Cenk is saying is true, he's saying there's a political hit, he's running for office and they're trying to take him down. Even if that were true, you are so bad at messaging. Sorry. I I just don't buy it. The Young Turks progressive founder urged his staff not to unionize. In a tense meeting with employees, Cenk Uger argued that a union doesn't belong at a small news network struggling to make profits. Yes, it does. If that's what the employees want, welcome to your own policies blowing up in your face. You know, I I, I can't stand this. I'll I'll tell you one thing. I am no fan of unions. I'm a fan of collective bargaining. I think the unionization process has become predatory in certain respects and cumbersome in other respects. So to to, to explain, you have unions that try to unionize everybody because it makes them money. You then have people who are forced to join. Why? I wasn't benefited when I was forced to join unions other than them taking money out of my paycheck. I'm being facetious. They took money from me and gave me nothing. I was like, I want that 20 bucks. That's lunch. I didn't make a lot of money. That was like two hours of my labor to your, to your union who did nothing for me. I was not happy about this. But collective bargaining, I do like. The fact that employees can come together and say, yo, we're all going to bounce because you don't treat us right. That's just a normal part of life. And I respect that. You got to spine, stand up to your boss and say, this is what we want or else. And I'll tell you what else. If Cenk Uger had a spine himself, he could have simply just said, let me know what you guys are looking for. Instead, he slams papers down, yells at someone, tells him to stop laughing. This is not funny. Bleh. He's now saying that apparently this, uh, this union who endorsed, and this might be true, actually, endorsed his political rival, the moderate Democrat or something like that, in California's 25th district and is trying to unionize to cause him strife. But I'm not, I'm not buying it. The Huffington Post, look, man, you've got people in, people in the Young Turks 
We're talking about their union busting effort. This is, I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, everything that Cenk Uger has been talking about saying, we, you know, union busting efforts are bad and we got to give the workers rights. You are the voice that encourages all of this. So don't be surprised when in either good faith or bad faith, those policies come back to bite you. It is not fair that you can say all of these other companies should play by these rules. And then when it comes to you say, oh, but I'm special. We're a small news organization. Sorry. It doesn't matter how big your company is. These are the rules you proposed. Now, I feel for you, man, because I get it. He makes a good point. Media companies are struggling today. I think the Young Turks could actually actually makes a lot of money. And I think what he's really concerned about is his growth projections. I'm, I'm not so sure that that's the biggest concern if, it's, if like your employees aren't getting paid enough and need health care. Let's read the story from the Huffington Post. I'm going to throw a little defense his way because it does seem like it's, there's some shady business going on. But I will always wrap that up by saying what I just did, that if you spend years saying these are the rules, you got to play by them. Everyone, let's put these rules in place. And then someone says, OK, now I'll use those rules against you. It's your fault. You promoted this. Don't be surprised when it comes to you and you have to play by the rules you proposed. Huffington Post reports top leadership at the progressive news network, the Young Turks, held an all staff meeting at its office in Culver City, California on February 12th. The regularly scheduled gathering was supposed to deal with personal matter, personnel matters, but instead the focus turned to the staff's nascent union campaign, which had just gone public. Earlier that day, a Twitter handle claiming to represent TYT employees had announced on the social media platform their intention to form a union. In the staff meeting, the network's co-founder and influential host, Jenk Uger, urged employees not to do so, arguing that a union does not belong at a small independent outlet like TYT, according to two workers who were present. He said if there had been a union at the network, it would not have grown the way it was. I cannot. I, I, okay, no, I was gonna say I can't believe it. I can totally believe it. This is, this is mind numbing to me as somebody who actually runs a company and is expanding and hiring people. If you want to form a union, you have my blessing. And I mean that in all sincerity. Come and tell me what you need and and we'll negotiate. Yes or no. End of story. And I am no fan personally of the entire process. Yet I would never do something. This is crazy to me. I am anything but one of these far leftist progressives screeching about how, how great unions are. I'm actually critical of them. But if someone wanted to do it, hey, more power to you, man. Let me know what you need. We'll talk about it. We'll figure it out. We'll make things work. That's not what he's doing. Apparently, people, like, let's, let me read this. This is crazy. He said uh, his talk at times emotional, the staffer said, with Uger throwing his papers to the ground at one point and chastising an employee seemed to contradict the progressive worker first ethos that TYT broadcasts to its millions of lefty followers. Jack Gerard, who is acting as the company's chief operating officer as Uger runs for Congress in California, told the staff they were not discouraging unionization. Look, Jenk, you challenged the system. You wanted to run for office, an establishment that doesn't like you, that, that uses you when you benefit them. And, and then when you support Bernie, they really don't like you. But when you run personally, yes, they're going to come for you. So of course, you're going to see the establishment go straight for the Young Turks saying, you threaten the machine, you go down. You bend the knee to the king. You don't challenge the king for the throne. So of course, they will smear. But what's, what's, what's really annoying to me, and I'll be honest, is just how awful all of these people are at controlling messaging. But I mean, also just standing up for your principles, man. Like, how are you going to propose all of these things for everyone else, but not yourself? How are you going to freak out and be like, no, we can't do this? 
What are you doing? Even if you don't want them to unionize, you got to pay attention to what's happening with the press and the media and how you're going to look, right? See, see, even outside of the fact that he seems to have no principles, I'm surprised that he was this bad at messaging, freaking out to his staff instead of just being like, I'm, I'm excited. This is awesome. Let me know what you guys need. Let's, let's get it done. This is really cool. We'll, we'll, let's, let's do a segment about this. Let's talk about how good it is. No, because I think he doesn't actually believe unions are good. Jenk used to be a Republican, and he certainly comes off like a capitalist, doesn't he? The message from Uger was clear and not to at least some staffers discouraging. Quote, we generally feel disappointed but unshaken, said one staffer who spoke on the condition of anonymity for fear of retaliation. We feel it's the right thing to do because of what TYT values. In an interview with Huffington Post, Uger said he is a strong supporter of unions. No, you're not, especially at large corporations that aren't sharing profits with their workers. But he said he worries a unionized workforce would bring new legal and bureaucratic costs that TYT can't sustain. The network has a growing subscription base and has raised venture capital money, but faces many of the same headwinds as other online media dealing with the collapse of ad revenue. It, it's, it's, you know what, man? All right. Maybe I just don't know what their financial situation is like. But I'll tell you what, if you came to me and said, Tim, I want X amount of money, I'd say, can I afford it? If I can't, no. And if they say, well, then I'm going to quit. I say, have a nice day. If it's not possible, it's not possible. If Jenk is saying we can't do it, we're trying to grow and we're going to be hurt, prove it and just say, no, you can unionize. I don't care. And they'll say, we want to go. She can't afford it. Literally don't have the money for it. We can shut down. And, and, and that's, that's another, uh, the other funny thing to me is he's like, I refuse to let this 18 year operation go under. Oh, calm down, dude. You're, you're, you're not going to explode in like a billion, you know, bits of flame, uh, shrapnel and the reality is we're in a precarious position. We are in a digital media landscape where almost no one makes money or is sustainable. He added, for a smaller digital media company, those are absolutely real considerations. It doesn't mean you shouldn't have a union. Everyone should know the full context. If folks say they don't believe we're in a precarious position, okay, and that's their decision to make. Here's what you do. This is what I've warned against for the other media companies like Vox, BuzzFeed, whatever. You unionize they now have legal, they got to hire their lawyers, got to come and negotiate, it's going to cost a lot of money. And then you fire people, <laughs> like not for retaliation. If you don't have the money, you have to let people go. This is the warning I give to people like, you know, these media companies, listen, they'll find the money for your negotiations. They'll take it from one of your jobs. If a company only makes say $50,000 a month, small company, okay, because Young Turks is making a lot more than that, a lot, lot more than that. But they got a big staff. A lot of people don't seem to understand how much money flows in and out of a business, especially the size of the Young Turks. So they're probably bringing in several hundred thousand dollars per month, but they probably have a decent overhead and they got to pay everybody. So let's say they're bringing in, let's just, let's just use a round number, $100,000 a month. And you've got seven employees, each getting paid, you know, a six, like, no, let's not, let's not, let's, let's do, let's do $50,000, seven employees. They each get a couple grand per month plus taxes. You're pushing your limits. And now they say tack on legal fees to negotiate. You say, okay, the first thing we have to do to handle those negotiations is find a budget to hire a lawyer. We're firing you. Thank you for your service. It has nothing to do with discouraging or promoting unions. We literally don't have the money. Then you hire the lawyer to negotiate. Then the staff says, well, we want these benefits. You say no. They say yes. They say we strike. You say, okay, I'll, I'll give it to you. Now we need to find an additional, you know, several, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to pay for this. We fire you. Congratulations. You all got your benefits. 
We cut down on the staff if we don't have the money. It's not about retaliation. It's not about discouraging unionization. It's that if you only have X amount of dollars per month and they demand X plus 10, you have to fire someone to balance out the number because if the money doesn't exist, the money can't be paid to people. This is why I tell people at the unions, I think it's a bad idea. These, these media people are like, we're going to unionize and get all these benefits. It's hilarious because you look at Fusion, the company I worked at. They were, I, 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 it's been a while, but my understanding is that they, were, they, they voted to unionize. And then within like a month, it was like, everyone's fired. You know why? Because the company did not make money. If the Young Turks is just operating off venture capital, there you go. Everybody gets fired. Congratulations. The fact that Jenk is like, no, uh, you're on borrowed time, dude. You're building your company off venture capital, which I get. It's, a, it's how the system works. You've gotten deals with other companies, but you don't have enough actual revenue to sustain the level you're at. And that to me is so silly. Debt driven business. I'm not a fan, but I get it. People do it. And it works for a lot of people. I don't like buying cars on loans. I like to save up and then buy it. And you know what that means? I don't have a car for a long time. So I'll buy a, a junker from a, from a local, you know, a used, used dealership, get something cheap and then start saving up. Because what I see with Young Turks and all these other media companies is the big mistake they made was like, okay, I think we can get to this growth level. And so what they do is they say, we're going to borrow money, take an investment, and then you slowly burn that money away up until you're hoping you can balance out your revenue and stabilize. To me, that's silly. The Young Turks makes a ton of money. They can grow off the money they already make. But I, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm willing to bet Jenk Uger pulls in a couple million per year for himself. And he puts that money away for himself, just my assumption. And then yeah, I could be wrong. And then says, here's what the business can afford. And yeah, maybe you got to come down in salary to pay for these lawyers so that your staff can unionize. Maybe they have a right to collective bargaining. And if you want these rules in play, you'll have to pay too. Uger said he was caught off guard by the union effort that appeared on Twitter the day of the meeting and that it was so early in the process, he wasn't sure if it was real or if he was being punked. He acknowledged that he threw papers in the meeting in a downward direction, not toward anyone. He noted and that he reprimanded an employee whom he believed to be smiling. That is insane. You know what, man? I don't trust. I don't trust Jenk at all. Reprimanded an employee for smiling. Who cares? What are you? What are you, what are you the principal? Don't you smile. This is serious. What are you doing? Punishing people, yelling at them for smiling. What? He, uh, he, he, according to the staffer, as Uger said, it would be funny later. An ominous statement that they found unsettling. He told Huffington Post it wasn't meant to be a threat. The person smiling seemed to be openly mocking the idea that the company might not survive after 18 years. And we put all this blood, sweat and tears into it. I don't find the idea of us going down funny. He is exaggerating, dude. I laugh at this. You see the smile on my face? Please spare me. Your company going under. Dude, if your company goes under, it's because you are you have mismanaged it because you're bad at what you're doing. Not because your employees want to negotiate better arrangements for their pay and benefits. And I am not a big fan of the whole process. I think it will backfire on these employees, especially if the company is doing bad. But I'll tell you what, Jenk Uger's attitude says to me, he can't afford it. That's why he's mad. He's thinking to himself, like, they're going to take from me and my salary because, no, oh, this is not fair. Oh, harumph, I say. Because I'll tell you what, if the company really was in that precarious position, he need only be like, come and negotiate. We'll show, show, show your, your legal team some paperwork and explain to you why you ain't getting nothing. Let's, uh, let's read more, though. Media has become fertile ground for union organizing in recent years with workers at both old, old 
legacy newspapers and newer web-only outlets seeking the protections of a collective bargaining agreement. The union push has made for some awkwardness at organizations with liberal reputations where management may resist collective bargaining despite overseeing labor-friendly coverage because they're hypocrites. Even the Huffington Post is pointing out they are hypocrites. They're running businesses. Their goal is to make money. They push a progressive message to get progressives to, to read the content and get the ads. And then when it comes, comes time to put their money where their mouth is, they're like, oh, heavens, no, not me. You know, I'll say one more time, but I'm going to show you Jenks tweet. If, if, if my company gets to a point where people want to unionize and I can't afford it, I'll just say, by all means, I don't care. We can't afford it. There's your negotiation. And if, they, and if, and if that's the end of it, I'll be like, hey, everybody, we're, we're going out of business. It is what it is. What do you expect? Don't get all bent out of shape and start screeching. This is your message. So Jenk said, one, this is not true. See letter below from the Young Turks, two. Coincidentally, I'm sure IATSE has endorsed my opponent and is canvassing for her right now. See internal email sent to us by wonderful union member. Another coincidence, IATSE released this on the day of our only forum together. So in this, Jenk is straight up stating, as, an, as making a statement of fact, that this was sent to him, where it appears the union actually is supporting, endorsing his political opponent. That's his accus- accusation. I love it. It sounds so much like traditional union busting efforts. He said, this is what they posted. Today, the Young Turks refused uh, voluntary recognition of the, of the TYT union. It's a disappointing decision from an organization that presents itself as progressive. Join us in telling the Young Turks to respect their so-called principles and respect their workers. And now I'm going to bring in Anna Kasparian because I don't think she's a manager at the company. I think she is an employee who would be unionized. She tweeted, as an employee of TYT who is not part of management and not involved in the business side, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm the EP of the main show, meaning I have editorial say, I feel extremely uncomfortable with IATSC's endorsement of Jenk's uh, congressional opponent who does not share our progressive values. While I'm personally supportive of unions, this feels like it's done in bad faith. The fact that this all blew up on the day of Jenk's debate is also extremely suspicious. I love the hilarious hypocrisy. This is such, these are such weasel words. You know what, man? I don't care when the union effort came in. I don't care what the timing was. I don't care who they endorsed. You do not get to play politics because someone tried to unionize at your company, especially when you are someone who promotes and support unionization efforts and claim to stand behind politicians who are backing these laws. What you're saying is you don't have a union staff. You proclaim everyone else should or others should. And so they say, OK, put your money where your mouth is. You go, oh, oh, this is bad faith. That's exactly what they always do. It's bad faith. It's bad faith. You have an argument with their with their false principles or fake morals. And they say, you're arguing in bad faith. You, you People at the company want to unionize. She says they don't. She is still one of the more famous and higher paid staff than most people at the Young Turks, although she's probably not making nearly as much as what Jenk makes. And she says bad faith. It's so it's so it's so uh, I'm uncomfortable with this. You know what, man? I've seen it. There are people who are favorites of the system. They reject the union effort because they 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 do fine by themselves. And that's exactly the point. You know what? Anna has every right to say no union here. I'm happy because she's a host of the main flagship program an EP. She probably gets paid a lot and she probably knows that a union effort will rope her in and make it harder for her to move in the company. She is the cream of the crop, top of the top, non-management position, and the union's going to be bad for her. But the union is going to be good for the lowest low, the guy who gets the coffee. 
And that's the problem. Complete and utter hypocrisy. I'll wrap it up. You get the point. I almost just don't even care. I think, you know, if, if you're going to parade around claiming you believe in these things, you just don't make excuses. I'm surprised that even if they did want to reject this and didn't like it, that they would play the worst messaging possible. When, when the vice employees tried to unionize, Shane Smith, the CEO, said, this is great. I'm, st- I'm, I'm excited for it. More power to him. And that was the end of it. Because Shane, the CEO of vice, was a master of marketing. He knows exactly what to say and how to say it. And all Jenk and, and Anna or anybody else had to do was say, this is really cool. Um, we're excited to hear that the, the employees are, tr- are making this tremendous step to protect their rights, something we've, we adamantly believe in. We're so excited to recognize them. We look forward to the I- IATSE's you know, uh, negotiations and, and papers, and whatever else they want to bring to us. We are 100% on board. That's it. All I had to do. Nope. They had to turn it into, but they're targeting us for political reasons and it's bad faith and it shouldn't be here and slamming papers on the ground. Spare me. You're hypocrites. I'll see you all at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. Next video will be then. And uh, yeah, I'll see you then. I hate to say I told you so. The other day we heard that Northern Italy was being locked down because the coronavirus was spreading. It's going to get worse. It keeps getting worse. And everyone is telling you it will be outside of all of the weird media people with their optimism by saying, oh, no, this can never happen. We have experts warning. We have the military taking action. We have governments freaking out quarantines across the board. Southern Italy is now being locked down. And I hate to say I told you so. Not about the spread of the disease, but about what you're seeing on your screen right now. For those that are listening, let me describe it. It's an image of a supermarket in Italy in the Lombardy region, with most of the shelves empty. Not everything in the store. We are not at the point where the stores are completely run dry of food and supplies. But I said several times, don't let anyone shame you into not taking care of yourselves. It's possible. The people who bought all these goods will never need them. But as the quarantines keep expanding, The people who have food are likely going to fare better or at least be much more comfortable when they have a wide array of food to choose from. Apparently, from the picture, you can see they're not picking a lot of this pasta. I don't know why. Pasta is food. You might want to eat it, but perhaps because you need water to make it. So maybe they're grabbing other goods. We can also see on one side, some of the shelves are still fully stocked, but I'm not entirely sure what it could be. It might be, you know, condiments and sugar and stuff. The point is the coronavirus keeps getting worse. And we have some really freaky stories to go over. The Iranian minister, apparently, this is crazy, comes down with coronavirus at the press conference, sweating profusely, gets tested. Turns out he had the coronavirus. They're saying right now that the mortality rate for reported cases is around 2%. So I'll try and break this down. Of reported and closed cases, we've seen around 10% die. Of reported cases, however, 80% have mild symptoms and and many don't even know they have it, which means there could be tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people who are or have been infected who don't even know they have the disease or the virus. However, around 20% go to go into critical condition. And then of those people, the mortality rate can be fairly high. So it's hard to know exactly what metric to use. Suffice it to say, a 2% mortality rate is much higher than the flu. It is spreading. The quarantines are expanding. If you have not taken care to prepare for something that is the worst case scenario, then don't be surprised when you come into the store and you see the shelves are stripped bare. 
You should have gone out last week. If you haven't done it, go now while things are still calm, because the absolute worst case. Uh, well, I got to I got to rephrase this better. In the best case scenario that I'm wrong and everything gets along just fine and this doesn't actually reach the states or wherever you may be, maybe you're in the UK or Canada, then you'll have some food to eat. You get some canned food, some jerky, some food that can last you a couple of weeks, some water. And then when everything blows over, congratulations, you have food. Last I checked, humans need food anyway. So go pick it up now before it's all gone. Don't rush. Don't panic. Don't knock people over to steal the last bottle of Lipton iced tea. Calm down. We're okay here in the States for the time being. Just make sure you've got a full stock. Make sure you've got some extra water. Because every day I see more and more stories of this getting absolutely worse. And they tried downplaying it before. The media is trying to act like nothing's going to happen. Oh, the flu is worse. Calm down. And now the coronavirus. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've been blind. I don't know. But when SARS happened, we did not see this. We did not see quarantines, border closings. This is full on freakout mode. And I often wonder when it comes to military and national security, they have confidential, top secret, secret, etc. What classified information are they not telling us about? And I would also stay, say, as I said before, they definitely don't want you to panic. And they know that if they come out and say this is going to be the worst thing we've ever seen, then people will freak out and go, you know, just run in the banks or, or take all the supplies from stores and just panic mode. And that's bad for the economy. So we're already seeing economic slowdown. We're seeing stocks go down. Take it seriously. Let's read this story. And then I'll t- I'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of the other stories. Like, how, how crazy is it? The Iran, let me show you this one first. Iran's deputy health minister comes down with coronavirus at the press conference to reassure nation that the country's death toll was lower than feared. This guy, look at this clip. He starts sweating profusely, later gets tested. Sure enough, he's got the coronavirus. That is one of that, that, that's, that's like that's a scene out of a movie, man. Like I've seen movies about, you know, pandemics and the guy is like trying to assure people everything's going to be a fine. And he starts coughing and they're like, oh, he's got it. And everyone screams and runs like this is nuts. I didn't expect anything like this, like, like this to happen in real life. You got to make sure you don't have an optimism bias. That means people think it can never happen to me. Everything's going to be fine. Be smart about it. I showed you the photo. These stores are getting stripped bare. Daily Mail reports Italy has confirmed its first case of coronavirus in the south after a holiday maker from the north fell sick while visiting Sicily with her husband and friends. The 66-year-old woman for, from Bergamo traveled to the Sicilian capital of Palermo on Friday morning before her home region of Lombardy was put on lockdown following a surge in cases. But she began showing flu-like symptoms around 2.30 p.m. Monday and was quarantined to her room at the Mercure Hotel in the city center before being taken to hospital after a test came back positive. As we know, people can transmit this while they are asymptomatic. And it would seem that this may already be too late. Your lockdowns are happening too late. I'm not going to tell you to lock your doors and seal the vents or anything like crazy like that. But if you are responding only after they say, oh, someone in your area is sick, that's after the incubation period when it's probably already spread to hundreds, maybe thousands of people. So take it seriously before it comes to you, right? Now, look, especially if it's in your country, okay? Or, or you know, look, Italy is relatively small compared to the entirety of the United States, but it was in the North. They know it's there. They know they're locking down. They know it's spreading fast. Take it seriously in the South. Now it may be too late. Mayor Leo Luca Orlando said the hotel remains open, but the woman's room has been secured. Another 29 people who arrived with her from Bergamo have been quarantined in their rooms, while 20 staff are also on lockdown. 
Authorities are in the process of tracking down airline passengers and other people she came into contact during, with during her visit. He told Palermo today, her husband is also suspected of having the disease. News the infection has spread south sparked panic buying in Palermo on Tuesday as shoppers stripped supermarket shelves bare and raided pharmacies for medical supplies. Italy confirmed a total of 59 new cases of coronavirus across the country on Tuesday, bringing the total to 288 with seven deaths and one person recovered. The total is the largest outside of Asia. The Italian outbreak also jumped the border into Austria and Croatia, which reported their first cases in travelers from Italy. Barcelona also reported a case in a traveler from Italy, while Switzerland confirmed its first case. And if they know, that means it's already spread or very likely to have already spread. Let me tell you a story. I was in Los Angeles when the Fukushima Daiichi reactor plant tsunami disaster happened. And immediately there was panic among people I knew who were tech savvy. They said, what would happen after this plant goes off? Is there going to be radiation coming from the West to us, you know, from from Japan to California, maybe through the water, maybe through the air? And what do you do to protect yourself from radioactive particles? Well, you take potassium iodide. The way it's supposed to work, as my understanding could be wrong, is that when I think it's iodine 131, a radioactive particle from these plants is in the air, you, it gets in your food, it's in your body, you ingest it. Your body puts that iodine in your thyroid. If you take an iodine supplement, your body maxes out on how much iodine it needs and it will reject the radioactive particles. So everybody almost immediately raided every store in, as far as I can tell, LA and bought up every last bit of potassium iodide. We went out almost immediately and we're like, we'll grab some. Why not? Just in case it was gone. And that was because the disaster had happened. Right now, this is a slow motion catastrophe happening before us. It's not the worst thing to ever hit humanity in terms of a virus or a disease, but it's substantive enough that governments are freaking out and desperately trying to slow this down and failing to do so. That says to me that you've got a good enough amount of time right now to go take care of things before it gets really, really bad. Right now, you can drive up to your little Walmart. You can walk in with a smile on your face, take a look at that sweet organic, you know, uh, broccoli stalk and say, you know, what, we're going to have some organic broccoli tonight. And you can walk over to your specialty vegan ranch dressing, take that and say, we're going to eat healthy tonight. But if it gets bad, like it is in these supermarkets, you will end up walking into a supermarket with bare shelves and some dry pasta. And you say, tonight, we're going to be chewing on hard, dry pasta because we can't spare the water. So take it seriously now. These photos are, are crazy, but I can't say I'm surprised. Supply chains are going to be disrupted. China's already slowing down production of a lot of things, right? Antibiotics and medicines come from China. Rare earths, for instance. Apple saying they're not going to meet the demand for the iPhone because of the factory shutdowns. The factory is being shut down. This is going to spread. Things will slow down because of this. Again, not saying the apocalypse. I'm just saying it's going to be a rough month. So, so I hope you're all taking this seriously. Take a look at these photos. It's really amazing. Everybody wearing masks. Apparently, the N95 masks you need are no longer available in many places. We can see this right here. People stock up on essentials and coronavirus outbreak in Milan. Stores are being, are being stripped, man. Here we have a map of Italy where we can see, you know, in, this, in the more southern parts, you can see they're, they're not reporting anything. But I'll tell you what, if we know of these cases because people are visibly sick and being tested for it, it's very likely the entire country and everything around it. Croatia has now got, got one case. There's probably dozens to hundreds already infected. Swiss authorities did not immediately say where the case had come from, but public broadcasters said it occurred in the Italian-speaking region of Ticino, close to the Lombardy region of Italy. 
Austria's health authorities had two Italian citizens who were likely infected in Lombardy had tested positive in the province of Tyrol, while Croatia said a young man contracted the virus after visiting Milan. Authorities in Barcelona said a patient tested positive for the virus after visiting northern Italy in the last few days. In the total 20 Italian provinces, in total, 20 Italian provinces have now reported cases with most being concentrated in the Lombardy and Veneto regions in the north. But the regions of Liguria, Emilia Romagna, Tuscany, Trentino, Alta, Adige, Sicily, and Lazio, where Rome is located, have also confirmed a limited number of cases. Of the 288 cases, health authorities have confirmed that 109 people are in, are in the hospital. We say the hospital in the United States. And showing symptoms, 29 are in intensive care, and 137 have been told to isolate themselves at home. Italian authorities are still trying to figure out how they went from a few isolated cases of the virus to one of the worst affected countries in the world in just a few days. And there it is. That's what's going to happen. I hope it doesn't. I hope I'm wrong, but I will err on the side of caution. Italian authorities are still trying to figure out how they went from a few isolated cases of the virus to one of the worst affected countries in the world in just a few days. That bears repeating. And I hope you, you listen to what I just said. They had only a few cases and said, it's not a big deal. We'll quarantine. And now they have more deaths than any other country outside of Europe. Again, we're talking about in the hundreds of cases so far. China, though, tens of thousands. And that's when it gets out of control. Remember when it was only like 14 cases back in, you know, the end of December, beginning of January. And now it's nearly what, 80,000. It's moving decently fast enough and we can't track it. Health officials have yet to identify patient zero for the current outbreak. And without knowing where the infection started, it is difficult to know how and why it spread so fast. Supplies ran low in affected regions. Two prosecutors opened an investigation into price gouging amid reports that face masks were selling online for 10 euros each, while bottles of hand sanitizer had rocketed overnight from 7 euros to 39. Meanwhile, Italy's deputy economic minister, Laura Castelli, warned that the country may need help meeting its EU budget commitments as its economy teeters on the brink of recession. Even before it was hit by a coronavirus outbreak, the Italian economy registered a contraction of 0.3% in the last quarter of 2019. On Monday, the stock market plunged more than 5% as the FTSE MIB recorded its largest single day fall since 2016. The sell-off continued Tuesday morning, wiping out another 1% of market value. The market recouped most of those losses in the afternoon, but was still trending down by a fraction of a percent. I'll tell you what, man, when it comes to trading, I'm no trading expert. So take, take my advice. Or I'm sorry, don't take my advice. Me personally, I would not sell. I would not panic sell. And if anything, I'd buy because we're going to get through this. We're humans. We've survived much, much worse. And while I am saying it is serious, take care of it. We're not looking at the apocalypse. I hope because, you know, when this first came, when, when, the, when the news first came out, I said, ah, oh, the flu is worse. Everybody calm down. I'm really worried that maybe in a month I'm going to be sitting here drenched in sweat, shaking, being like, it's happening. The end is here. Like, lock your doors. The infected are outside. And then it's like phase two of the virus hits and people become like drone like zombies. I don't think it's actually going to get that bad. But it is an airborne, you know, uh, to an extent contagion. It's spread mostly through respiratory fluids in the air. So you can catch it if it gets in your eye, if you breathe it in. So uh, here we can see what's going on in Europe. There are many cases in Europe, but it doesn't seem that bad so far. And I really want to point out, you know, if you've got 60 plus million people in France and 12 cases, it's not that much. The issue is how fast it's spread in China. 
Don't let people try and tell you it's stupid. Ignore it. I tweeted about this and I said, if this really does become what the World Health Organization calls disease X, which wipes out 80 million people, a lot of Americans are going to be damn glad that Trump built that wall. And it was really funny because then some people who are apparently really stupid were like, the Tim thinks a wall can stop a virus. <laughs> uh, yeah, because they're closing borders. Don't you get it? They want to restrict the flow of travelers who could be carrying the diseases. And if a million plus people came through our southern border last year alone, and even one of them had an infection and we don't know about it, congratulations, pandemic. That's what they're talking about in Italy. So while the wall is not a perfect solution for stopping the spread of a disease, people will be happy there's at least some border security, right? Now, I think it's also funny when people are like, ha, oh, look at Tim getting red pilled. I never said the wall was a good idea on, on, on its face value, what Trump was proposing. But when it comes to border security in a global pandemic, which I've never experienced, then yeah, it certainly will help a little bit, especially when you can see how other countries are reacting, locking down their borders. If you can't lock down your border, you can't track who might be sick. And someone panicked and, and with the coronavirus in critical condition, might rush into California knowing they're offering up free health care for people under 26. You get a 23-year-old guy who gets really sick and gets scared and says, the only option I have is to go to California. He illegally enters the country because there's lack security. He then gets the health care, infects dozens, hundreds more people, and boom, now it's bad. We need borders to track these things. We need people to come in in an orderly fashion to track these, these things. Is it perfect? No. Is it the, the best possible solution? Of course not. It might only provide an extra, uh, you know, additional 1% security across the board by having the wall, but people are going to be glad. Italy doesn't understand. They had a few isolated cases. What's that? But you mean Finland has one case? UK has 13 isolated cases? Not a big deal. France only has 12. Spain only has three. And how long did it take for Italy to jump up to 283? How long did it take for China to go from 14 with the mysterious respiratory illness to 80,000? It's been two months. So yeah, it can get really, really bad. And while most people will probably be okay, a lot of people won't. And this will negatively impact basically everything. Don't let anyone shame you into not taking care of yourself, your friends and your family. And I'm going to say it again. I know this is the fourth time I've said it. Italy didn't know. They had a few people. And now it's the worst affected country outside of Asia. This, these, these maps I've been looking at, and you've been seeing them along with me. Look how they just keep getting crazier. More signs keep popping up around the world. It seriously looks like a game of Plague Inc. You ever play that game? Pop, pop, pop. The bubbles start emerging saying infected, infected, infected in all these countries. So far, Greenland has not been infected. So they probably won't be. Shares in banks, most of which are located in the financial capital of Milan, which is the heart of the outbreak, were among the hardest hit. Juventus Football Club, which has seen games postponed along with the rest of series Serie A amid the outbreak, had to suspend trading in its shares after they fell 11%. If the economy posts another loss in the first quarter of 2020, it could mean the country is in recession. I think the biggest fear we should have is the potential for a run on banks. We're going to have to have basically a slowdown, a lockdown, because people will freak out. I don't know what to tell you, man. Go to the store. You know, here's what you do. Go out and get a nice burger with you and your friends, your family, whatever. Have a nice little burger dinner. Go to Chipotle. Get that nice, sweet, juicy burrito. Enjoy it. And then pop over. Take a few minutes to go to the store and pick up some essentials. Get things that'll last you some time. Get jerky, you know, salted meats, things you can freeze. 
in the absolute worst case scenario, food perishes. So consider that too. Get some canned goods that can last for a year or two, things like that. And I'll say it again, and I'll wrap this up. If nothing ends up happening, crack open that can of Chef Boyardee ravioli, which I don't necessarily recommend, and just slop some, uh, some cheese on it, make it taste better. And there you go. You get to eat your dinner. Crack open that can of baked beans. You know, hey, we didn't end up needing it. The coronavirus passed and we're all fine. Yeah, but baked beans taste great. Bush's baked beans, you get a little bacon, you put it in it. Maybe you have it with some tomato slices on a sandwich next to a sandwich or something. You can, you can have good food that lasts for a long time. Me, I happen to have a bunch of different kinds of jerky. I got venison, I got elk, I got all the good stuff. And for my buddies, I got some vegan jerky. That stuff lasts for a really, really long time. Because you know what? Tastes great. So I'm going to eat it. I didn't actually I bought it before the coronavirus broke out because I happen to like, you know, veggie, you know, uh, uh, beef jerky and stuff like that. Or, you know, exotic game jerky. The point is, it's going to get worse. And I'm going to do another video tomorrow because the news will get worse. And this is what I want to wrap up on. This, this video, I want you to take a look at this. The Iranian deputy health minister trying to explain to people everything's fine, literally breaking out in sweats. Turns out he had the virus. That's how absurd this is. I'll see you all the next segment at 4 p.m. at youtube.com slash Timcast. It's a different channel. Thanks for hanging out. I'm actually getting really, really mad at this point. I got to be completely honest. Joe Biden is clearly, he is beyond the age of retirement. He needs to stop this. And the people around him need to stop propping him up. And these crony elites in the Democratic Party need to stop pushing this guy. He is done. He needs to retire. Look at this tweet from the other day. Joe Biden claimed tonight that he worked with Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping on the Paris Climate Accord, except the current Chinese president is Xi Jinping, and Deng Xiaoping left office in 92, has been dead for 23 years. Joe Biden, he's, he's, he's out of it. It's about time he just relaxed. You've earned it, man. For all the good, for all the bad, for all the disagreements, you did your thing. It's time to just go home and relax. That's not the only video coming out in the past couple days. This is, it's getting really, really bad. I mean this. Deng Xiaoping, guy's been dead for 23 years, and now this. Biden is running for the Senate? I mean, look, he said it. Does this mean he's, he's no longer running for, the pre, for presidency? Who's, which, he's running for the Senate in South Carolina? Joe Biden, at an event, said that I'm running for the U.S. Senate, and if you don't like me, vote for the other Biden. What? Vote for the other Biden? What other Biden? What are you talking about? Do you mean another candidate? This dude is old. And so it, it's, I've got these stories, but I really need to talk about the age of the front runners. Yes, Joe Biden is still polling very well. I don't believe it never did, but they're calling him a front runner. Bernie Sanders. Doctor says that Bernie Sanders is hiding one key metric of his heart health from the public, which would dispel or fuel doubts about his long-term health after his October heart attack. And I did, I, I did talk about this recently. That uh, one, one report said Bernie Sanders has a 35% chance of having a heart attack again before November. It's, it's substantive. They're both nearly 80 years old. Now, to Bernie's credit, he knows where he is. His brain seems to be working, you know, to a certain degree in that he's been, you know, he, he's not demented like, you know, like he's not becoming senile, but he does believe stupid things, right? So I'll, I'll give him credit that his, his brain works uh, insofar as he, 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 he has having sound function. I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll stop. I'm already getting in enough trouble. Let's read the story. Joe Biden says he's a candidate for U.S. Senate from the, Daily, uh, from the Washington Examiner. Former Vice President Joe Biden made another blunder. No, stop. It's not a blunder, man. Look, if Joe Biden was in Iowa and he's like, I'm, I'm here in New Hampshire, I, 
I mean, Iowa. Yikes. It happens to the best of us. But Joe Biden does this almost every day. Then when he said, go vote for the other Biden. What, dude? Nah, he's not making blunders. Stop saying this. The dude is old. He needs to retire. During the South Carolina Democratic Party's first in the South dinner, Biden, who was reportedly greeted by the longest standing ovation in the dinner's, in the dinner's history, made the error as he was concluding his remarks. You're the ones who sent Barack Obama uh, the presidency. And I have a simple proposition here. I'm here to ask you for your help. Where I come from, you don't get far unless you ask. My name's Joe Biden. I'm the Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. Look me over. If you like what you see, help out. If not, vote for the other Biden. Give me a look, though. Okay, vote for the other Biden. I didn't know what that meant when people were tweeting it. I saw this and I'm like, what does he mean? Like, is his son running for office? Did he mean Bernie? Or did he mean the other candidate? He's dude is not all there. Biden, who was a Delaware senator from 73 to 09, performed poorly in the first three contests for the Democratic nomination for president. His best performance so far was in Nevada, where he got second place with 19% of the vote. While addressing supporters at the conclusion of Nevada's caucuses, Biden took several shots at Bernie Sanders, who remained cemented in his frontrunner status in the Democratic field, and former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg. I ain't a socialist. I ain't a plutocrat. I'm a Democrat and proud of it, Biden said. And I promise you, I wasn't talking about running in the Democratic primary against him in 2012. He added, referring to former President Barack Obama. What are you talking about? They say, according to the RCP average, he still holds the lead in the wait, what? In the upcoming primary. This is not not true, man. Look, they're trying to claim for whatever reason the media is propping him up. Their polls are broken. They're, They're just wrong. There's no way you can have kitty grabbing, slurring, teeth falling out, not knowing where he is, guy running for the Senate who tells you to vote for the other Biden. No, there's only one. Calm down, sir. This is a this is a Wendy's drive through. I don't know what you're talking about. The dude's clearly not ready. Not uh, he's just not uh, he doesn't have the ability. But that brings me to Bernie Sanders, who also doesn't have the ability. Let's be real, man. You don't have to uh, pr- look. Let's stop pretending. Bernie Sanders is what, 78 he just had a heart attack. This would be the oldest. Pre- Trump is already the oldest president to get elected. And now we're going up another 10 years. I'm sorry enough. Millennials, it's time to stand up and start running for office. Gen Xers, where are you at? Take responsibility for your community and your lives. We have become a country of me, me, me and nothing else. And because everybody just wants what's best for them, they don't care about the betterment of the community. None of them are running for office. So we're left with boomers and what the people from the greatest generation, people who actually have at least some community minded uh, perspective. Boomers aren't really doing it. Gen Xers aren't doing it. Millennials aren't really doing it. But we've got a couple. We do have a couple. But where are the great thought leaders that are, I don't know, 45 at least? We don't we don't have, we don't have it. I mean, look, Andrew Yang was great, but this was the best we could do. Now, now we're, we're, we're betting all our chips on a 78-year-old socialist who just had a heart attack or those who want to claim that the dude who doesn't know where he is and thinks he's running for the Senate, that's the guy we're going to pick. I mean, I get, I get it. Even Trump is old. But Trump is, is running for re-election, so it's fine. Let him finish it out. But he was the oldest president. He was 70 when he enters office. That's my understanding. The Daily Mail said, a doctor has called on Bernie Sanders to release a key indicator of his heart, mo- of, of, of his heart health. Months after the presidential candidate suffering a heart attack on the campaign, month, months after he suffered a heart attack on the campaign trail, Sanders said he doesn't plan to divulge additional information about his health after releasing comprehensive medical records. The campaign waited until New Year's Eve to put out letters from three doctors attesting to his health. 
a move traditionally deployed to avoid scrutiny. But the three letters are not the same as medical records. The president of the American College of Cardiology, Richard Kovacs, tells NBC News that if Sanders released one simple indicator of his heart health, it could put an arrest to lingering questions. The indicator, known as the left ventricular ejection fraction, is given to any patient after a heart attack and is a measure of how much blood volume the heart pushes out with an individual heartbeat. It can correlate with the risk of future cardiac events and mortality rates. Is it not obvious that the reason he is not putting this information out is because it's bad? So look, Bernie is talking normal, though I think his ideas are bad, but his heart is bad and Biden's brain is bad. Can we put this to rest and just let them go? Bernie really needs to step down and so does Joe Biden because they're not going to handle one of the most stressful jobs in the world. Look, Joe Biden doesn't have the, the, the mental acuity for it. But do you really think Bernie is going to last long in one of the most stressful jobs after a heart attack? I'm not trying to be mean or ageist, but at a certain point, you know, you're just too old. Look, man, I'm about to be 34. Do you think I'm going to go try and compete in top tier national or international skateboarding contests? No, there are some people who have done really well later on, but, but there's, there's a limit to what you can do. We're not gods. We're regular people. We all have our limits. In sports, that limit is very soon. Most of the top tier skateboarders in their 20s. You're in your 30s. You're old. You want to get in politics. I'm sorry. You're in your 70s. You are too old. But hey, it's the best part. When, you're, when you start getting older and you're not the best you, you could possibly be in, say, a sport, you still got your mind. And even that starts going. It does. So at a certain point, you need to recognize, well, we can build experience, you know, and you can be a really good skateboarder in your 40s. That's true. You're probably not going to be competing at the highest levels that these younger guys are doing. And that's what we're seeing now. But the problem is we don't have the young people actually running. I mean, we got Buttigieg, but he is not the best of the best. He is like a B-tier Obama or an Obama wannabe. The best we have in terms of, you know, I don't know, riling people up are the older generation and they're too old. So we really just don't have it. Donald Trump's going to win re-election. I don't see how you can justify anything else. For all of his faults, the Democrats are propping up people who just don't have the ability. Now, look, Trump is obese. All right. It's a fact. It's going to get a lot of people angry. Yeah, well, too bad. He's on heart medication. And these are problems, too. The only reason I would begrudgingly say that, say that fine, he can, you know, he's running. I get it is because he already won and he ran before 70 and he hasn't had a heart attack. And although you can criticize the things he says, he's not having the brain problems that Joe Biden is. Criticize Trump all you want. He got elected a little too old for my taste, but you know what? He's in. He's running for re-election. Fine. It's about time the younger generation stood up and actually took charge of this country and stopped passing the buck off to the geriatrics. These people are not well. But you know what? I don't blame Biden and Bernie. Who else, is, who else they got? Look at Bloomberg. That dude's, what, 78 as well? Is it the best we can do? Apparently so. And I think the main reason is too many people our age, too many people, Gen Xers, just want to order their pizza, sit around, play video games, watch TV, and say, hey, my life is good. I don't need those stressors. You go do it. That's the attitude. Instead of being the kind of country that says, you know, uh, what, what was the old saying? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. We're no longer that country anymore. We're, the Democratic Party is becoming overwhelmingly, what can my country do for me? That's what they are. And so that's why so many people are refusing to stand up and actually take charge and lead. It's not a part of their perspective. It's not a part of that mentality anymore. 
They're not here to make sure everyone does better. They're, make sure, they're here to make sure they do better. That's why they're grifting on Twitter. And that's why they refuse to stand up to the insanity. And it's why they become a party of lunatics. I'm done. I got a couple more videos coming up in a few minutes. Stick around. I will see you. I will see you shortly. A 9-11 memorial vandalized in Plymouth less than a week after town's other landmarks were defaced. Photos showed a statue of a police officer at the memorial was knocked over. Not the worst vandalism in the world, but still vandalism. And I don't understand why someone would vandalize a 9-11 memorial. That just, I don't get. There was vandalism on Plymouth Rock. That I do get. And I think it's stupid. But you get all these people who are far left, colonialism, down with white supremacy, all this other, other stupid nonsense. And they think they're glorious freedom fighters. The far left has actively defended rioting, vandalism, and destruction. But I actually think there's an interesting conversation that needs to be had, a thought-provoking one. Because there's a guy from Black Lives Matter who I actually respect. He made, a, he made some interesting points. I'll get to that. But first, the news. What's going on with these land, a landmark and, and a memorial being vandalized and why? ABC News says, another landmark in the town of Plymouth, Massachusetts, was vandalized, making it the eighth site in less than a week to be tampered with, officials said. The eighth site. So this is a problem wave of vandalism. This time it was the 9-11 memorial, which was found desecrated by vandals on Sunday, according to the town's fire department. Now, now you're really getting me angry. Now you're really getting me pissed off. You can, you can criticize culture. You can criticize history. But 9-11 was something else. That was people knowing they were going to, they were going to lose their lives to make sure other people could keep theirs. These were firefighters, police officers, medics, many of whom suffered in the decades following with cancer in their lungs and other ailments. Desecrate that you are scum. The memorial, a six feet tall granite pillar with the names of those killed in the attacks engraved on it and statues of a firefighter and a police officer standing beside it was erected in 2004. Photos show the police officer statue at the memorial was knocked over with his head separate from his body. The statue of the firefighter at the memorial did not appear to be touched. So we know why they did it. A statement against police, but the wrong statement. You people are disgusting scumbags. You want to, I, I've had police kick in my door in Chicago, violating my constitutional rights. I have, I have, been, I, I have been falsely arrested before. I have dealt with real malfeasance from bad cops. And you know what? I'm more than willing to criticize the culture and say, yes, we should talk about the bad cops, but not this one, not a 9-11 memorial. That is the opposite of what we want to criticize. That is what we want to cherish. They can knock us down, but we will always get back up even stronger. The fire fire department tweeted, noting that more than 25 firefighters came out to help restore the memorial. Bravo, good sirs. The town manager, Melissa Arigi, wrote, on Twitter that all signs of vandalism had been, had been erased by Monday. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. You can criticize the institution of the police department. You can criticize the history. But 9-11 was something else. These are people who, for all their faults, whatever you want to criticize, put their lives on the line. And many of them made the ultimate sacrifice so that you can live in your fancy protected bubble. Some of the wealthiest people in the world. You want to get mad that there are cops who give out bogus tickets or who plant drugs and do all that other bad stuff. I am right there getting mad with you, criticizing all of that. I did a whole hour long documentary on Ferguson and the, the history and the systemic racism and all that stuff. But you lose that argument with everyone when you do something like this. 
Less than a week before it was vandalized, seven other iconic sites in Plymouth, including Plymouth Rock, were defaced. The Rock, Pilgrim Maiden Statue, and the National Monument to the Forefathers were all tagged with red paint, officials said. That vandalism has also been removed. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Plymouth police told ABC News at the time they were looking into the incident, but had not yet made any arrests. ABC News has reached out to the Plymouth police for more details and whether or not the police believe the instances are connected. Man, there's very few things in the world that would make me want to be a violent person because I am not a violent person. I don't believe it solves a whole lot. And I think we want to avoid it. I think we want to we want to push ourselves past the need to strike someone. But you will find very little sympathy for me when you do something like this. I will say it for the third time before we move on. I get it. I get the anger over a lot of a lot of things bad cops have done. But a 9-11 memorial, dude? Are you kidding me? Come on, man. This brings me to an intre- interesting conversation. This is a story from a couple weeks ago, just, just about two weeks ago. Rioting and vandalism is the American way. Black Lives Matter president blasts peaceful protest as a tool of white supremacy after anti-police demos in New York. Hank Newsom, president of the Black Lives Matter movement in the greater New York area, refused to condemn rioting as a form of protest. Now, here's why I think there's an interesting conversation to be had. And I have a lot of respect for Hank because it's my understanding. I could be wrong. Maybe it's not Hank, but I believe Hank was the guy who showed up to a Trump rally and stood alongside Trump supporters as they clapped and cheered for a better America, where he said, we are just asking for the rights granted in the Constitution. He believes in America and people cheered for it. And I said, that's the kind of message of coming together that we need. So I do have respect for him. He's also done interviews. He speaks candidly and he he speaks about how he feels and he's willing to speak with other people. So I I do respect him. And I think this actually is an interesting good faith argument. It's a really, really interesting argument. I do not agree with rioting and vandalism, mostly because you get these young people who have no idea what they're talking about. And when we normalize this behavior, then what everyone does it. But Hank brings up something interesting that needs to be discussed, the history of this country and acts of vandalism that were cherished in our history. They they report the uh, they write the president of Black Lives Matter in the greater New York area has claimed that rioting is justified at protests because the American way is through bullets and blood, not peaceful protests. Hank Newsom appeared on Fox Nation's No Interruption on Wednesday, speaking to host Tommy Loren about Black Lives Matter and about recent anti-police protests in New York. Newsom, who also appears in the cast of Cop Watch America on BET, told Lauren he would not condemn the destruction caused as it calls attention to the organization's grievances with society to an extent. But listen, there's a big, so, so first let's draw a distinction. Smashing a window, annoying. I think it's counterintuitive. It's bad. Desecrating historical monuments and memorials to the people who lost their lives trying to save others. There is a whole other, that is something entirely different. You, you Look, when you smash a Starbucks window, you lose me because I feel like you're hurting the poor people you're supposed to be fighting for. The guy who works at Starbucks, I get it, the corporation you're going after, but they're not going to care about a broken window. So you're really just hurting the working class. But there's a, so there's a big difference though, but, but let's, let's see what he says. The civil rights leader also claimed that peaceful protest is the tool of white supremacy, posting the interview to Instagram and slamming Lauren as a white, as white supremacist Barbie. Hank, with all due respect, and I mean it, 20, 20, 22,000 people showed up in Richmond, Virginia to protest for gun rights. Some of those people included Black Panthers. Black Panthers were down there too. Guess what? They won the bill that was going to come in and ban weapons, the weapons, uh, assault weapons, assault style weapons, they say, was shot down in the Senate as Democrats said, no way. 
That was peaceful protest winning. That was including Black Panthers protesting. Peaceful protest can work. You just need the people to stand up and say enough. And we've seen it around the world. It's not always perfect. It's not always pretty, but you can do it. And when you resort to violence and vandalism and destruction and rioting, you are setting all of us back. I understand the challenges. You want to push hard. You want to push fast. You don't want to wait. But these 22,000 people showed up. They were peaceful. They were calm and they were collected and they won. And I'm glad they did. Not because I necessarily agree with what their message is. I I, kind of do. I can respect them in many, in many regards, but it's because they show that you can succeed with peaceful protest. You want to call it white supremacy, but the Black Panthers were there too. And they won as well the right to carry weapons to protect themselves. But here's a good point. The ride is the language of the unheard, Newsom said, comparing the modern day protests to the Boston Tea Party. What if you throw a whole bunch of tea in the water and start a war, he asks. That's what this country was built on. Loren was, was particularly keen to push Newsom on, on the recent anti-cop protests in New York, which saw subway stations and other transportation hubs around the city flooded with thousands of protesters. The January 31 protest was organized by a collection of 30 grassroots groups called Decolonize This Place and saw protesters carry signs with slogans such as F the police and no cops, no fares. I'll tell you what my problem was that. My pro- I'll tell you what my problem is with that. The subways are, are public. You're, look, it's, it's, people got to pay fares to make it work because someone's got to do the work and you can't force them to do it. You can't just make it free. People got to pay. So you don't like the system. Well, you got to vote for people. That's how the system works. So we can all get along without having violence. When, when, you, when you spray paint, desecrate and glue these things, all you've done is make sure you're hurting more working class people because it's publicly owned. So that's not good. But he brings up a really good point about the Boston Tea Party. And I was thinking about this like, well, it is a part of American history and I do like America. But I wondered, and I'm asking these questions. I want a legitimate answer. What do you think about the Boston Tea Party? Was it vandalism? I, re- I pulled up the Wikipedia page to read about it and we can see they wore masks. They disguised themselves because what they were doing was going to be illegal. It wasn't a protest. They were destroying property. A lot, lot of teeth thrown in that water was destroyed. And we're taught, I was taught as a, as a young kid, it was a great moment for the Sons of Liberty and pushing forward the idea of independence. But maybe, maybe it wasn't necessarily a good thing. Maybe we're just taught to respect the Boston Tea Party because it's part of our history and it led, it was part of the, the winning outcome. What do you think? So, so I mean this with all, with all sincerity. I think Hank brings up a really, really good point that there have been times in our history where we've celebrated certain things we denounce today. Is it because we're defending the system we appreciate? We want our independence. We built a country we very much enjoy, and now we want to defend it. I mean, that, make, that makes sense. I, want to, I, I think there's a, there's a certain line where you can say something is, it's not about hypocrisy. It's about the specifics of what you're trying to build. If people are communists and they go around smashing things, is it more about rejecting communist revolution than it is rejecting vandalism? Or do we just criticize the vandalism? Here's what I think. I think, well, for one, I don't know too, uh, enough about the Boston Tea Party. and We need to, lead a, need to read a lot more history. But I think there is a good point to be made in criticizing destruction of the tea over taxes and, and things like that. And there's also a good point to be made in the other direction that sometimes vandalism is a language of the unheard and, and, and they do result in uh, the spreading of a message. I'm not smart enough to pretend like I can tell you what should or shouldn't be, but I can criticize modern acts of vandalism that target poor working class people and especially target memorials to those who gave their lives so that we could live in comfort. As for the Boston Tea Party, 
I'd like to hear an answer because I don't think I'm smart enough to actually give you a proper response. It's hard to avoid being hypocritical. And this is one of those questions I can sit down and actually talk to someone about. So let me know what you think. That's, that's basically the point. I got to keep this one short, so I'll wrap it up here. But uh, I really do mean it when I say that uh, I think Hank Newsom is a good dude. While we may disagree on a lot of issues, I think this is, this is actually a cool subject to discuss where we draw the line and why we draw the line where we do. For me, I can say, interesting question, unequivocally, if I ever see you knocking over a memorial to 9-11, things might get ugly. And you know what, man? I, I, I take that back a little bit. I, I, I will probably always refrain from being violent, but I will do everything in my power to make sure the cops come and, and, and bust you for that. I'll keep it. I'll leave it. I'll leave it civil to, the, to say the least. But, you know, for, with someone with tremendous respect for the, the people who would run into a building as as debris was falling from the sky and, and smashing cars, people were screaming a fireball erupted. You have no idea what this world can really be like. And those people against every instinct in their body screaming run ran the opposite direction to pull people out. And the people afterwards when they came back to that rubble, breathing in that toxic air, gave the, re- the next two decades of their lives. You are disgusting. I'll see you on the next segment. And there we have it. I did, I did a story on the coronavirus earlier today, and now we're getting breaking news coming out just a little, uh, a little bit uh, later after my video. The CDC has basically said, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Please for, for, you know, for, for, for Pete's sake, go to the store calmly, stock up on some supplies. They are saying expect significant disruption in our lives. Coronavirus is here. For those that didn't see my update earlier today, you may have. Italy had a few isolated cases and they don't know how it got so bad. But in China, there's something like 70 plus thousand. It is everywhere. And the CDC is saying it is coming. Schools will be closed. Business will be disrupted. I hope you are taking things seriously. You will regret it. Let's read the story from the Daily Mail. It's no longer a question of if, but when the coronavirus will spread in the U.S., CDC officials said on Tuesday as they told parents to prepare their children for the possibility of school closures. The CDC said Americans need to prepare for teleschooling should the virus continue to spread throughout the U.S. So far, 57 cases have been confirmed, 14 in the nation, 40 from citizens repatriated from the Diamond Princess uh, cruise ship in Japan, and three evacuated from China. And although the threat is currently low, Dr. Nancy Messonnier, CDC's director of the Center for, for the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Disease, says the public needs to prepare if the virus becomes a pandemic. It's not so much a question of if this will happen in this country anymore, but a question of when this will happen. She told reporters in a media call on Thursday, on Tuesday, we are asking the American public to prepare for the expectation that this might be bad. You have been warned by your government. You've been warned by me. And here's why I told you a week, week and a half ago, two weeks ago, to go to the store and do not let anyone shame you. Because now, now the rush starts. We've already seen what happened in Italy with the store shelves being raided. I'm going to tell you this. The CDC just gave us the warning. Prepare for this. Well, guess what? I've already bought my food and water. What about you? Do you have your flashlights? Do you have your batteries? I don't think the world is going to end. We're not talking about mass cast in the streets. We're talking about significant disruption. That means 
You look, I, I was in New York after Sandy. You could not get gas for your car. I hope you filled up the tank. I hope you're ready to sit down and chill for a couple weeks. Supply lines are going to shrink. Economies are going to retract. It's going to get bad. And the CDC is saying it. I am absolutely disgusted by these news outlets that were poo-pooing and, and, and just ignoring this. Listen, when this story first broke, I had the attitude of the flu was bad. Come on. This, I, I don't think it'll get that bad. But I read the stories. I fact check. I Google. I was reading what was coming out of these, out of these countries to make sure I was on top of exactly what was going down. But these other air quote journalists weren't doing that. So even last week when I'm saying, just buy some water, don't let people shame you. They're tweeting things like, what is this silly nonsense? It's just in China. The flu is worse. Well, now the CDC has come out and they're saying, we are asking the American public to prepare for the expectation that this might be bad. Prepare for the expectation. I love that. They're still dancing a fine line. They're worried that if they come out and say, go buy stuff now, that people would freak out. So prepare for the expectation that it might be bad. Okay, calm down. Just tell people to get ready. Things are probably going to get bad. Plain and simple. Let's read a little bit more. Dr. Messionet is so concerned that she suggested that parents call their children's schools and ask if there are plans for children to attend class over the internet or via video chat should the buildings need to close. In fact, she told reporters she has already called her own children's school to ask how it would handle closures due to the outbreak. Dr. Mezionet said, although the threat of coronavirus in the U.S. is currently slim, the infections international spread abroad makes containment at the U.S. border and within the the nation increasingly difficult. Now, let me just reiterate this point to all the morons on Twitter who are like, how is the border wall going to protect us? She just said it, you idiots. Listen, the infections international spread abroad makes containment at the U.S. border and within the nation increasingly difficult. A million people trying to walk into the southern border and Trump started building a massive border barrier bollard fencing. Now, the main argument that Trump and the Democrats were having was over morality and legalization. Nobody was talking about pandemics, but here we are. You want to make a good argument for a wall? There it is. The CDC is freaking out. Therefore, she suggested recommendations that the public could take it, could take if the virus reaches pandemic-like levels. At a community level, this means reducing face-to-face contact in schools, and officers are are replacing in-person meetings with teleschooling and teleconferencing. I had a conversation with my family over breakfast this morning, and I told my children that while I didn't think they were at risk, right now we as a family need to be preparing for significant disruption in our lives. She said she called her children's school and asked if they are if they are if there are plans for teleschooling. They say, however, other health experts have advised parents not to overreact and pull their children out of school. Definitely don't overreact. No, 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 I'm sorry. Definitely don't panic. A little overreaction is justified so long as you do it calmly. Underreaction can be bad. They cite, you know, I'm going to stop right now to shout out to all of you who have commented because I've seen your comments saying, Tim, it's going to get worse. Tim, it's going to get bad. I called it. I knew it. I've seen all the comments from you guys and you were right. In the beginning, they were like, ah, the flu is worse. It's SARS. We'll get a couple hundred deaths. Don't worry about it. Now here's the warning from the CDC. Now Trump is trying to say it's under control. Keep calm. I respect this within reason. They're saying they have it contained. They might not. But they do, it is important. You do not panic. I do not like the approach of telling everybody everything will be okay if it won't. I like an honest approach. Listen, 
If you panic, you will make things worse. You, you, your life will get worse if you panic. But this will get bad. So calmly set up a plan, write things down with your family, take charge. One of the worst things you can do in any circumstance, in any emergency, is panic. When your brain is in panic mode, your chance of survival decreases, depending on the circumstance. You know, I think that's fair to say. But when, when you need a cohesive plan over how you're going to deal with something as bad as this, then you cannot panic. But you also can't undermine, or I'm sorry, uh, underestimate, and you also can't have an optimism bias. The liter- so they cite the number of infections among children are low, and that when sem- symptoms do appear, they're mild. The literature is only reporting about 100 or so pediatric cases. Dr. Terry Lynn Stilwell, a pediatric infectious disease expert at Mott's Children's Hospital, told NPR, worldwide, more than 80,000 people have been infected with coronavirus and more than 2,700 people have died, mostly older patients with pre-existing conditions. We'll scroll down. You've got a bunch of photos. During the media call, Dr. Messiane, Messianer, I can't pronounce it, also gave an update on test kits, some of which were flawed, that were sent to state and local health departments. Currently, 12 states and localities have working test kits, but it's unclear which states and cities have them. I am frustrated, like I know many of you are, that we have had issues with our tests. I want to assure you that we are working to modify the kit and hope to send out a new version to state and local uh, jurisdictions soon. She added that 400 samples were tested at the CDC on Monday night and that there is currently no backlog despite the defective tests. So uh, we get it. She says, I am deeply concerned. We're way behind the eight ball on this. Uh, uh, said Senator Patty Murray, a Democrat from Washington, during a Tuesday Senate Appropriation Subcommittee hearing. We see that the White House has requested $2.5 billion to fund better tracking of the virus, treatment development, and ramped up production of a stockpile of 300 million face masks and protective gear for U.S. healthcare workers. We're we're also hearing that the U.S. Senate Democrats are requesting $3.1 billion to battle the coronavirus, while Trump is saying that it will go away but the CDC is saying it will spread. Speaking to reporters in New Delhi, India, President Trump expressed confidence the outbreak, the outbreak, outbreak, the outbreak is going to work out fine and will go away. Trump is right. And I think it's important he keeps a calm demeanor and does push back a little bit. We're, we've got 80,000 infections, okay? It's mostly older people that are dying, but some younger people have died as well, which is why this is a serious issue. It's not the plague or the apocalypse. But it's something that should be taken seriously because the risk and the mortality rate are enough to disrupt economics. So there may be supply line interruptions. We're already seeing it. That means when you go to the store, some people are probably going to buy too much. Food will probably go bad. What can I say? Some people are going to panic. Don't do that. Buy what you need. Do not overbuy. Do not take too much that you can't, you can't have because then we're going to be lacking massive supplies. But I do think now is the time. You know what I'm doing right after the filming of this video? I'm going to be completely honest. I'm going to get my car. I'm going to go to Costco and I'm going to do what the CDC told me to do and prepare for the expectations. This may get bad. Whatever that sentence is supposed to mean, I think I get the warning. This lady is really worried and she works for the CDC. Let me tell you, they always want to downplay it. When the CDC is freaking out, I think it's worse than even they're letting on. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't think the world is going to end. Calm down. But do not listen to these stupid optimism bias Muppets in the media who are like, chill out, everything's fine. No, 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 no. Your life is your responsibility, not theirs. And I know a lot of people are also doomsaying too. Look, 
I've not experienced anything like this in my life. So I don't know what to expect. I don't know what you should expect. I don't want to, to scream the end is nine. We have a sign around like a crazy person. So the best I can do is say, enjoy your life, play some games, play some video games, hang out with your buddies, crack a beer, but buy a little extra than you normally would, because it's not going to go bad if you buy the right stuff and you'll eat it later and nothing will be bad. And I'll tell you what, if this all blows over and everyone went out and bought new stuff, hey, boost the economy. Just make sure you recycle all that plastic. All right. I mean that seriously. America tends to do a good job with that. I will keep you updated as more developments come in, but I think this is the most important story we have right now. We can talk politics all day and not can complain about Democrats. I get it. But see, this, this, this coronavirus stuff is for all of you, regardless of your political affiliation. I want to see that you get through the safe, healthy, and we can all can go. I, I want to make sure that after all of this, we're all going to go back to bickering about the stupid nonsense of whether one politician is crazier than the other. So do the right thing. Take care of yourselves. And I will see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m.